Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Generation Y Conservative Podcast. I'm glad that you could join me tonight. We have a really interesting interview tonight. And uh, 2020 has been, by all means to everybody, a dumpster fire with everything going on. And I think that there's a really interesting narrative that's out there. For, for years now, we've been hearing when it comes to third-party candidates that they don't stand a chance, that you're wasting your vote. And last election between Hillary and, and Trump, there were a lot of people, I think that the, the, the numbers came in that it was just out of pure hatred because of such a poor candidate that they had in Hillary Clinton. And there was a lot of people that hated Trump too, as well. And this year, is turning out to be basically the same. There's a lot of uh, angst out there in regards to President Trump and Biden, and a lot of people are looking for an alternative for their vote. And one of those names that's floating around right now is the Dr. Joe Jorgensen campaign and the vice presidential pick on that end, which is Spike Cohen. I am so happy to have him with me tonight. Spike, thank you for joining me on the, on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I have a limited time with you tonight. You're obviously, we're, we're kind of gaining steam to the end of this uh, right up to election day and everything. So I know you're really packed with your schedule and everything. And I, I have some topics I want to go over with you because I find, just so you know, a little back history on me since you haven't met me or talked to me before. I started off as a Republican. I became a conservative Eventually, that's when I set up the channel and uh, my writing and everything. The brand kind of stuck with it because eventually I considered myself a constitutionalist. And now I have a lot of libertarian uh, leanings myself. <clears throat> and I think that's kind of the uh, evolution that I went through uh, with everything say, politically. This is, a very similar, this is a very similar evolution. It sounds a lot like my own. Yeah, you had. Uh, I, I watched one of your interviews today, and you said that uh, you were basically a neocon. And then yep. when nine eleven happened, you you bought into the whole narrative and yep. and uh, kind of was like gun ho about going and getting the terrorists and everything. And that's what kind of brought yes. you. Yes, we had to kind of led to your awakening. Correct. We had to stop the terrorists who hated us solely for our freedom. And the only way that we could stop them was by using you know bombs and uh, invading the world and destabilizing entire regions of the planet. And the only way that we could show uh, them what for was to get rid of those freedoms that they hated us for uh, by, uh, you know, uh, through uh, warrantless wiretapping and surveillance and things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, extraordinary rendition of U.S. citizens and killing U.S. citizens overseas without, uh, uh, you know, without trial and things like that. And listening to people like Ron Paul and, and Matt Kibbe and, and others who were libertarians who operated in conservative circles. And, you know, they were pretty pesky and, and annoying because they were consistent about saying that if you want a smaller government, you're not going to get it from this imperial war system that we have right now. And, uh, and over time, I realized that they were right and I was wrong. And so that started my evolution out of being a more of a neocon into being kind of a conservative slash constitutionalist and uh, eventually now into my my final form as it were uh, as a libertarian 
Yeah, it's really interesting that uh, I think I think there's been a lot of an awakening for our generation specifically when you look at the Patriot Act. And I think a lot of people like probably yourself and myself at the time believed, yes, we need to somehow keep tabs on things, but then realized that this is exactly when a government gets a foothold on something and a foundation that administrations just keep on building and building upon that and continuing to chip away at what we actually have as far as freedom. Absolutely. And it's not, and, and it's the way that it's phrased. It's like you just said, we need to keep a tab on them. No, the Patriot Act is them keeping a tab on us. The Patriot Act right, is the right. government keeping a tab on us. And that's, that's the problem is that it's not us finding out anything. It's not us being made the wiser about anything. It's just the opposite. It is the government uh, having uh, a new set of powers that they use and abuse uh, to use against us, the American people. And like you said, you know, it starts with, well, we're just going to use this against terrorists. And then it becomes, well, terrorists and mass murderers. And then it becomes, well, terrorists, mass murderers and, you know, drug kingpins. And then it becomes, before you know it, they're using it against everyone. You know, Edward Snowden. basically released the information that they were tracking and are tracking everything we do. Everything we do, every bit of electronic communication that we do is being tracked without warrant, without reason, just bulk wholesale selection of data. And all of that is just to keep tabs on us. It has nothing to do with our safety or protection or anything else. Yeah, and to to top that off, to go even a step further on what some people may not even understand is that the collecting of metadata allows them to retroactively go back if they're looking into a certain person to find past wrongdoings, not even related to what they're investigating you for. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. I'm dipping my toes into some of this libertarian stuff. I've spoken to uh, a uh, congressional candidate, a former congressional candidate out in Indiana. That was my first interview for this year. That was a libertarian or is a libertarian. And she blew my mind with a lot of topics. So I have libertarian leanings. I, I believe in letting people alone with a bunch of things. But I find the party's platform fascinating, especially since... And I'm going to need your help on this to help describe this to people. But I think she said that the best way to describe the Libertarian Party is like trying to wrangle a bunch of cats together because the the points on the plot line are so all over the place with where you fall. Because a lot of people like to think of the line being straight across, right or left, right? But then there's the upward and downward oh, line towards down, authoritarian yeah. and... Um, and then freedom-based anarchy and everything. So really, when you plot out those dots, it could be anywhere, you know? And that's really where, why I'm so interested in talking to you is because I, I could talk to you as a libertarian and get a completely different story from another person in the party, and we don't know, you can't, you can't funnel that <laughs> into especially someone that's running for office. And that's the purpose of the platform is that the libertarian right. party essentially an alliance, a political alliance between various uh, members of different uh, libertarian schools of thought, everything from minarchists and constitutionalists down to anarchists. And then even within the anarchist spectrum, there's I'm like an anarcho-capitalist. There's anarcho-capitalists, there's anarcho-syndicalists, there's anarcho-mutualists, there's market anarchists, there's anarcho-socialists and anarcho-communists. There's all these different people, uh, left and right, up and down, 
but what it comes down to is that we understand that on at least 80 to 85 percent of things we recognize we agree on the same thing which is that we believe that people are best and do the best and are the safest and are the healthiest and are the happiest when we are most free we recognize that we own ourselves and we have autonomy over ourselves and our bodies and our labor and our property and that aggression against that is not only bad from a moral standpoint that you shouldn't hurt people and take their stuff but it also doesn't work if i were to take from you and order you around and take from all of your your watchers and listeners whenever i saw fit I don't have to provide you with any value. I don't have to make uh, good choices. I don't have to be a good steward of what I've taken because I can take more whenever I want. And I don't have to provide value to you because I can order you around whenever I want to. And if we look at the system that we are in right now, if we look at all the harmful outcomes that are happening right now, if we look at the fact that the cost of living is spiraling out of control, if we look at the fact that the government presumes the authority to tell us whether or not we're essential, whether or not we should be able to live our lives, mm-hmm. if we look at the fact that the government robs us of trillions of dollars to hand off to billionaire cronies, if we look at the fact that we are currently in the worst recession of our lives, while simultaneously stock prices are at or above all-time highs, we are living within a system whereby government presumes the authority to take from us whenever they see fit and to order us around whenever they see fit. That is a system that is a blatant violation of our rights and it doesn't work. It is failing all of us except a very small and powerful handful of very wealthy people. And the Libertarian Party is built around a coalition of people who recognize that the only way we're going to fix this and get us out of this mess that Republicans and Democrats have put us in is by taking that power back and taking that freedom and that money back and putting it back in the hands of the people they stole it from where it always belonged. You brought up a point there as I was listening to you that I find really interesting because my first question was going to be in regards to the Constitution. If you don't mind, we'll probably get back to that in a second. But what I found interesting was you kind of, the way that you, it was the way that you mentioned corporations, stock prices going up and everything. Mm. Do you, because again, I have to narrow this down to you, not as a blanket statement on the libertarian. Right, 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 right. Um, Do you, as as a libertarian, you're putting an emphasis on the individual, right, and our, our control over things. Do you see corporations as built of people or do you see them as their own kind of thing that needs its checks on with us, that they're not really... Yeah, so corporations are people who form an organization to basically adapt to the legal and tax structure that we live under, right? So they create Mm -hmm. corporations. I have a corporation. Uh, I'm a small business owner and and have been for uh, over 20 years now. And I have a corporation which protects me largely from many tax liabilities. It also protects me somewhat from civil liability as well. And it is a a construct that a legal construct a legal entity that i've created to adapt to those realities um so it's less about the corporation as a structure itself my focus is on this my corporation my business my businesses that i've been a part of have existed to provide value to people around me to uh to yes to also make me wealthy as well or to make me able to provide for myself and my family and to build a financial legacy for future generations I have done so by providing value to people. That's not the problem. The problem is you have a small handful of incredibly powerful people and their corporations uh, who are using their power and making an end run around 
uh, an end run around how to provide how to make money instead of providing value to the market and getting compensation in return they find out they realize that the best way to do it is to use this very powerful government to put their preferred politicians in place and then to hand them legislation and regulations to create that do many different things like making it unaffordable for their smaller competitors to stay in business so they go out of business and it allows them to be able to uh to grow with with less competition uh it also they also create a bailout that just hand money directly to them we've seen a ton of that this year with the so-called cares act where uh you know we were all given twelve hundred dollars of our own money and then we watched trillions of dollars the average american has about seventeen thousand dollars worth of debt that came from the care act and from the federal reserve actions that were taken the week the couple weeks before that um they're gonna have to pay that off for the next 40 plus years that's the problem and the root cause of that problem is not uh greed or corporations or anything else the root cause of that problem is that there is an organization this big leviathan government that is able to give out those favors in the first place yep. that is able to rob us as it sees fit that is able to print out endless monopoly money and hand it out to whoever they want to that is able to create regulations that control every single aspect of our lives that is the source of the problem if you cut off that supply then the cronyism disappears the 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 problem the source of the problem is the ability of government to do whatever it wants if you take away the government's ability to take from us whenever they want to and to order us around whenever they want to and you severely at the very least severely limit their ability to raise revenue and severely limit their ability to uh to to enact any kind of laws or regulations or legislation then that also does away with the cronyism because now they're no longer able to just create wealth for their favorite cronies yeah, it's a drug for yeah. the connection to government. I mean, once they take absolutely. it, they just want more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back here to the Constitution. What okay. is uh, the Jorgensen Cohen position on the relevance today and uh, application of the actual founding document, the Constitution? Is the that something that's important to you guys? The Constitution is supposed to be the prime law of the land. If this government is to right. have any legitimacy, then it has to be governed under its foundational charter documents, right? Or else it shouldn't exist. Right. If it cannot exist yep. within the confines of the actual document that it's written under, then there's no reason for it to claim any legitimacy. It is just as much of a lawless organization as any other criminal organization. If it is not operating within the confines of the document, the founding document, what does this mean? For example, if it is not putting the Bill of Rights the first 10 amendments of the Constitution as the prime law of the land, not just at the federal level, but at the state and local levels as well, that it cannot claim legitimacy. It can certainly not claim the consent of the government because that is the foundational document. We very much believe that to whatever extent this government can claim to be to have legitimacy, it can only be within the confines of its limitations as written by the Constitution. That means it needs to be protecting our right, uh, affirming and protecting and not infringing upon at any level of government our right to uh, to uh, uh, peaceful assembly, our right to freedom of speech and expression, our right to keep and bear arms, whatever arms we wish, without any limitation, yep. our right to not uh, 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 to be uh, our right to be safe and secure in our homes and our properties and our effects, our right to due process, uh, and and our, all of the other various rights that come from the Bill of Rights, our right to know that we cannot be infringed upon at will by government. 
Um, our habeas yep. corpus rights need to be respected. We need to uh, be able to face our accusers. We need to be able to know what we're being charged with. And we need to be able to have an ability to uh, to fight back against that with the presumption of innocence before we're actually found guilty. Um, so there's many things there that, you know, I, and these things are not happening. And the reason they're not happening is right. because the government doesn't respect the limitations that are set forth in its foundational documents. And, and the most important part, arguably the most important part, definitely one of the most important parts of that, is that if it is not clearly delineated as a power of the federal government, according to the Tenth Amendment, if it's not written out explicitly as a power of the government in the Constitution, it is supposed to be left to the state or to the individual people of this country. And uh, that clearly has not been respected. So while we are not uh, I guess you could say within the confines of how we think the government should govern, we are constitutionalists. We believe that this government, if it is to have any legitimacy, has to operate within the confines of its foundational charter document, which is the Constitution. And, the, and libertarians really like to to play within that area of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, it seems, that that's like basically foundational cornerstones in the Constitution on how to delineate those powers on where they fall and everything. Am I correct on that? Exactly. Exactly. And here's the thing. Our preference, and this is where, to whatever extent the Constitution does not clearly delineate what government should or should not be doing, we believe in erring on the side of maximum human liberty, right? So, for example, in the Tenth Amendment, it says that the powers that are, are, are not granted to the federal government should be left to the state or to the people. Our belief is that in those Tenth Amendment situations, that probably 99 times out of 100, it should be left to the people. It should not be in the charge of any form of government. So, for example, we personally believe that education is best handled through the free market. It is best handled through homeschooling, through charter schooling, through private schooling, through schooling co-ops, through uh, uh, the decisions for schooling being made solely by parents and educators and administrators. And that's it. When you get government involved, especially at the federal level, but really at any level, you are going to have harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes by the very nature of the fact that the service is being provided by a monopolistic organization. And we know that we should not expect good outcomes from a monopoly. So we tend to err on the side of, for example, on the 10th Amendment saying, if it doesn't need to be given to the federal government as per the Constitution, more than likely it should just be left to the people. Okay, well, I crossed uh, education off my list as far as uh, where you stand on it, so (laughs) we'll have to talk about that. Now, now, Um, now, I want to say this. The Jorgensen-Cohen campaign platform on education is to get the federal government out of it and to give it back to the state. Because we believe right now, with the way that our system is set up, it is best handled as locally as possible to the state or preferably to the school district. I'm talking, you know, long term with the time to actually, you know, dismantle the system we have in place the preferable way of doing it would be by the free market. But our actual campaign campaign platform is just getting the feds out of it because they've ruined education in this country. Listen, and anecdotally, if you ever want to use it, I, I was a, I'm a former school board member in my area, and I was the youngest to serve on my school board when I was 26. And what I found fascinating is you believe that a board is there to help form the education for the individuals going to the school district in your school district. But what I found, and this was 
you know, 2009-ish or something like that. Mm. What I found at that point in time was that I was there more to hear about the federal mandates coming down on me and what was going to happen in the school district and saying Uh yes or no to the budget. And that was it. That was the only say I had was, yes, I approve this budget. That's it. Yep, yep. It was yep. disgusting. And largely largely just figuring out how to roll with the punches that are coming from the feds. It yep. is a total mess. And so are the schools. It's a that's shuffle. It's a dance. The, that's what's happening. It, it is a dance, and it's a terrible one. It's a dance with someone yep. throwing knives at you. And, and, <laughs> and you have a situation where it's the same thing in the schools. I have talked to so many school uh, uh, educators and administrators, uh, principals and things like that, who say the same thing over and over again. We have no control over how the kids are being taught at this point. We are literally just yep. handing out standardized tests and adopt, adapting to whatever budget we're being given. And if we're being told that we have to label 20% of our students special needs because they're falling below the, the, the baseline for the standardized testing, then that's what we have to do. And if that requires us uh, getting them uh, diagnosed with something and put on a medication, then that's what we have to do. The feds are telling us we have to do that. The entire system is an absolute mess at the very least you as a school board member should have been able to make determinations based on input from educators and parents in your district region what needs to happen and if you instead of the feds being involved if instead you had had all that money that was being extracted out from the federal level extracted out of your school district if you had that money back and if you had that power and freedom and decision making ability back your schools would operate so much better You'd actually be oh, yeah. able to do your job in determining how the education is best handled in your region. And that's what we believe. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, let me see which kind of topic here I can do before the time ends for the radio. Um, let's see. How about, <laughs> this might not take, in, in about four to five minutes, let's see if we could do this. It seems like on the videos I was watching, we'll touch on after uh, we we kind of pass over to the YouTube uh, portion on the channel and continuing the conversation. But let's transition with this. It, you're a Black Lives Matter supporter, right? <clears throat> okay. It there's there's there should be conversations out there. I completely agree. We'll talk about the BLM movement and everything like that uh, across the uh, the divide there. But what would a Jorgensen Cohen campaign do, or not campaign, presidency do to rectify issues within the police departments? How do you want to see that get fixed? So once again, we've seen the federal government being involved in something it should not have been involved in, and that is domestic policing. Law enforcement at the local level should have never been involved. Again, 10th Amendment, there was nothing in there that says that the Fed should be involved in local decision-making about law enforcement. It should have been left to the state, to the localities, and to the people. And so here's what we've seen, an increasingly militarized and increasingly unaccountable police force that is increasingly just enforcing bad federal laws on victimless crime. And those laws, the war on drugs, the war on guns, uh, the war on income, all of these things are being disproportionately, as they always have, disproportionately used against the most marginalized among us, the poor, the homeless, people of color, these are the communities that always suffer the worst when it comes to enforcement of bad laws. Uh, and so what we have seen is that, for example, qualified immunity allows police officers and government officials and also absolute immunity allows politicians and judges and prosecutors and other government mm-hmm. agents and officials to 
infringe upon our rights with near impunity. They can do essentially whatever they want. And with qualified immunity, what ends up happening is, so for example, Derek Chauvin, the officer who killed George Floyd, he had 17 other major complaints against him before that happened, including wrongful death. He may have murdered other people. And when the Minneapolis Police Department looked at Derek Chauvin, they made the same uh, cost-benefit analysis that police departments and government agencies around this country make when they encounter the bad apples in their bunch. They realized he was a terrible officer, but they also realized that if they wanted to get rid of him, they'd have to fight tooth and nail with the police unions and spend a fortune to try to get rid of him with no guarantee that they'd get rid of him. More than likely, they wouldn't be able to. They'd just waste a bunch right. of money. And thanks to qualified immunity, it's not costing them anything to keep him on the force. He can't be sued. They can't be sued. The police unions can't be sued. And so as a result, bad policing is incentivized. They left him on the force and said, ah, he'll probably eventually murder someone, then he'll go to jail, and then we can get rid of him. And so he was able to mm. run roughshod over the people he was supposed to be protecting and serving with impunity. And it discourages good policing. The reason that those other officers just stood there and let him do it was because they knew if they tried to stop him, he wouldn't be held accountable and they'd probably get kicked off the force. When you end qualified immunity, all of that changes around. Now, when the Minneapolis Police Department looks at someone like a Derek Chauvin, they go, we got to get rid of this guy right now. He's going to cost us a fortune. The police unions look at him and say, we got to get rid of this guy right now. He's going to cost us a fortune. The other officers around him say, we got to stop him and arrest him right now or we're going to get sued too. It encourages good policing. It discourages bad policing. And it heals that rift between the police and the public they serve. Because I have talked to protesters across this country at Black Lives Matter rallies, at anti-lockdown rallies, at gun rights rallies. And I hear the same thing over and over again. We want government officials to be held to the same standard we're held. If we have to do something, they should have to do it. If they, if we have to be held liable for something, they should have to be held liable for it. I haven't heard anyone pushing for Marxism or communism or violence in the streets or anything else. I have heard people who are desperate, who want change. And the change that we want to provide is by bringing government down to the same level as us, by holding bad actors in government, whether they're in police departments or government agencies or courts or uh, or Congresses or state legislatures or executive branches holding them every bit as liable for the actions that they cause that harm and infringe upon the rights of the people as any one of us would be if we did the same thing. All right. So if everybody could just uh, hang on for a minute if you're on the YouTube channel. But basically, uh, we're talking to Spike Cohen, VP candidate for the Libertarian ticket right now. If you're listening on the radio and you are enjoying this interview, please head over to YouTube, search for the Generation Y Conservative and uh, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell and you can see the rest of this interview. Uh, Also, find me on Facebook and Twitter at Gen Y Conservative without the E on the end. So, Spike, uh, you're talking about holding the um, the police officers, higher officials, and everything more accountable. Do you believe that they're let's let's say magic wand? You take care of that issue right off the top, right? And you you kind of release that pressure from the federal level and everything. Do you believe that there needs to be um, extensive training or qualifications, physical, mental, and stuff like that, for the police force? I think that there should probably be more uh, training and ongoing training than currently exists, Uh, especially when it comes to gun safety. I was shocked to discover that the average uh, concealed carry permit holder has more gun safety training uh, and more gun uh, like marksmanship training and things like that 
than a police officer does. In, in many states and cities, they got trained very briefly when they first got their badge and often don't undergo any ongoing training. That was horrifying to me. But I do think the biggest thing is, is holding them accountable. I don't think you need training not to murder anyone. I don't think that you need training oh, right. not to plant evidence on anyone or uh, uh, or or to, you know, or, or, or to not, you know, plant drugs on someone or something like that. I don't think you you uh, don't that you need training to, to to not try to sexually harass someone you've pulled over and tell them that, you know, mm -hmm. they'll let, you'll let them go in exchange for sexual favors. Like, I don't think they need training. I think that they need to be held accountable is the most important thing. I think that training would possibly help. Uh, and I think that that a lot of funds that are going into. Uh, militarization of police forces could probably be better used for uh, for training. I think the most important thing is that individual communities should be able to decide those types of questions because it is different from area to area to area. We are a massive, massive, incredibly diverse and broad country. And I don't think there is a one size fits all fits all solution to that question. I think each individual area should be able to determine that with their power and their money and their freedom to make those decisions instead of having a state or federal Leviathan putting this top down, centrally planned, arbitrarily defined and crony friendly policies in place. I think instead just allowing those communities to decide what their police departments look like, what their first response look like and, and, and what their schools look like and everything else. I think I think I've been hearing that a lot from you lately in the interviews that you've been doing or the the videos that you've been putting out there is a think and act locally like yes. from the bottom up yeah with yep. everything okay so I'm I'm seeing that that pattern with everything um yeah we only have about uh maybe 13 more minutes. So I wanna go over some of the most important topics. So obviously sure, right sure. now we've been in the grip of a pandemic. Uh, I don't know how, <laughs> how you feel about that, but um, I had a, that, that conversation with the other libertarian I talked to was a really interesting conversation in regards to the inevitable vaccine that's gonna come out, right? What is, right. The, what is, you, what is your position on a vaccine coming out and how it's handled, whether it's mandated or freely chosen. I, I would imagine I know your position, but. Yeah, we don't support any kind of mandate at all, especially when it comes to putting something yeah. in your body. We believe that people should be able to make an informed, uh, consenting choice as to whether or not to do something. Uh, and uh, we need to go back to the purpose, to the, 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 the reason why this pandemic is going as badly as it is in this country compared to other developed countries. For the first two months that the virus was here, the CDC and the FDA did not allow medical professionals to test COVID patients. That's it. That is mm -hmm. the single biggest reason that it, this is going on as badly as it is. That is the reason. What are we told over and over again? That the most important thing to deal with a virus like this that so many people can spread asymptomatically. It's the test, 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 test. We need to know who has it. We need to make sure to contain people and do contract, con contact tracing and all that stuff. And instead for two months, they didn't allow medical professionals to test COVID patients. Those first few results that we were told about in January and February, those were all illegally done. We had American companies that were making approved and working and proven COVID-19 test kits and having to sell all of them overseas because it was illegal for them to sell them here and it was illegal for anyone to use them here. There are still of the, I think, 15 or 16 approved test kits that are out there. Only two or three of them are allowed to be used here. 
I think that recently was expanded to four or five. We still have so many test kits being made here and they're all being sold overseas. Not because there's not demand here. There's a ton of demand here. It's because there's regulations, right? It's because of stupid regulations. I can't tell you how many nurses and doctors I have talked to on this campaign trail that are telling me that their lives, their, their ability to be able to save lives is still being harmed by stupid regulations that in the best of times lead to higher costs for getting health care and lower access to affordable care. And during these types of times mean hundreds of thousands of lives needlessly lost. This needs to end. And it's not going to end by forcing everyone to stay inside. Guess what happens when everyone stays inside? That's called cold and flu season. Why, do you yeah. know why cold and flu season is worse when it's cold? It's because everyone's staying inside. The World Health Organization literally just released saying that these lockdowns have utterly failed to slow the spread of COVID-19, that they have only succeeded in increasing poverty, increasing depression, increasing suicide, increasing homelessness, increasing spousal abuse, increasing drug addiction, increasing joblessness, increasing all of the terrible things, many of which, including uh, untreated depression and suicidal tendencies and homelessness, have a much, much higher rate of death than this virus does. Yep. This is a serious Absolutely. virus. It has a anywhere from two to three percent death rate, depending on who you ask. That is a twenty to thirty percent, twenty to thirty fold worse death rate than the common flu. This is a serious virus. We should be treating it seriously. But the but this lockdown has failed. These mandates have failed. What should be happening is the government should be unleashing. The medical professionals, the healthcare sector, and the people who supply them, the truckers, the infrastructure companies, the uh, producers that produce these different uh, protective equipment and, and drugs and everything else. Get the government out of the market and let people do their jobs because they are, their job is literally to save people's lives and the government is just making it harder. I live in the state of Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, California, these are the types of states, Michigan, um, that are mandating in a dictator way the way that we live our lives in and outside of our own homes. Uh, You know, for instance, Governor Wolf, our, our governor, is just, he doesn't care. It's, it's unbelievable what we are going through as, as citizens here in Pennsylvania. Um, where do you fall on all the mandates with the masks? Like, do you, do you believe that across the board? Like, I think a lot of people are getting confused on the difference between a law and a mandate when they're right. going out into public, you know? Right, right, right. So here's the thing. I think masks generally are effective. I, well, first of all, let's be clear. Mandates don't work. When you tell someone, hey, for your safety, if you don't do this thing that I tell you to do, I'm going to put you in a cage where you're almost Mm -hmm. certain to catch COVID-19. For your safety. (laughs) It's garbage. It's nonsense. It has nothing to do with safety. If it were about safety, they'd be ending these lockdowns because, again, the World Mm -hmm. Health Organization has been saying for a few days now, finally, that what what libertarians and many uh, conservatives and even some progressives have been saying for quite some time, these lockdowns are stupid. They're telling everyone to stay home. They're telling everyone to just let their lives fall apart because of a virus that is a two to 3% death rate. So instead they should suffer under other things that have a much higher death rate, suicide, depression, homelessness. These are things that are way more dangerous 
we should treat this seriously, but you don't treat it this way by shutting the entire world down and mandating how people live. These mask mandates, I think generally wearing masks is a good idea. And I think that the best way that we could treat this is by putting out non-politicized information about masks, how they slow the spread of the virus, and then allowing individuals and businesses to decide whether or not they want to mandate having them in their businesses and let them know that if uh, in the case, uh, if, if, if their home or business ended up being traced as a source of a super spreader event, that they could be held liable, uh, you know, civilly liable for any damage that happened as a result of that. This government's done the opposite. It's passed a bunch of mandates and then indemnified everyone against any liability. That's the opposite of what we should be doing. No wonder it's spreading out of control because they're doing the mm. exact opposite of what we should be doing. So no, uh, uh, mandates do not work. If they work, you know, this, this, this two weeks to slow the spread that has turned into stay inside forever while we give trillions of dollars, uh, to bil billionaires to make sure that, you know, that their stock prices stay high and that they remain rich at your expense. Uh, that would have worked. It didn't work. It, it only works to make everything work. I want to give uh, uh, an example that ties into this and one of the other topics I saw you talking about in regards to the minimum wage. Y you, again, like uh, the other person I interviewed, really made me put on my thinking cap. And I had heard something from you that I had never heard before. And it's so simple, I, I can't believe I didn't figure it out myself. You were talking about minimum wage. And you were talking about how big corporations like Walmart and Amazon don't mind a minimum wage because they can afford it and it squashes out the small businesses. Now, to tie this into the whole virus pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me that we have a bunch of people, and I won't say any political affiliation because I think that they're all over the place anyway, yep. that have always said Walmarts and Amazons are taking over, killing small businesses and everything. The yep. virus hits. They say shut down the small businesses and start ordering all their crap from Amazon and Walmart and having it delivered by people putting them at risk and what saying to stay place? at home. <laughs> what was the place that they told everyone to go to? All you, you, the only place you can go to is the grocery store and you can only go there from this hour to this hour. In other words, everyone who wants to go outside, you all have to go into the same handful of buildings all together, really, really close and all touch the same right. stuff. You know, for your safety. It's all nonsense. It's all garbage. <laughs> it is all such a blatant, cynical lie. And anytime any one of us comes out and says, wait, you're telling us to stay inside, but that's how the virus is spread more easily because people spend more time Absolutely. inside than outside. And they go, oh, you, yeah. you, you, you're anti-science. Well, it turns out that the WHO agrees with us. So who's anti-science now? I mean, let's- Yeah, the scientists are- Here's another I was just going to say, scientists are actually saying that they're finding that a, a majority of the cases of fatalities, the people are vitamin D deficient, and you get vitamin D from the sun. People should be outside. Yeah, well, it turns out that vitamin D is a, a great immunoregulator. I take a yeah. ton of vitamin D because of my MS, uh, and I also take a mm. bunch of vitamin C as well. Um, now, a yes. novel virus is, 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 is something that can typically uh, invade your body a little more easily because it's not something you have any natural immunity to yet. But what better reason than to do the things that lead to you having a, a, just a generally stronger immune system to begin with? Instead, they tell everyone, stay inside. Just stay inside and yep. be really, really stressed out. Those are the two things that make your immune system go way, way, way down. Back to, yep. real quick on the minimum wage thing. Minimum wage actually sure. makes wages go down because when you increase the minimum wage, that shuts down that, that, that yep. and other regulations reduce the demand for American labor. 
at the same time and raises cost of living right it raises the cost of living it reduces the demand for american labor which means it then increases the supply of people who are looking for jobs Mm -hmm. on anything this is economics one-on-one 101 if you reduce the demand for something and increase the supply you now have a glut the value and the price for that thing inevitably goes down we want to do the opposite get rid of all those nonsense regulations allow entrepreneurial uh, uh, entrepreneurial uh, efforts to spring up left and right. Uh, get rid of these absurd la- uh, occupational licensing laws and zoning laws that make it illegal for you to do business in your own damn home that you own or rent from someone else. Be able to allow entrepreneurialism and job growth to go through the roof. Increase the demand for American labor mm-hmm. and thereby reduce the supply of Americans looking for gainful employment because they already have it. And when you do that, the value and the price of that labor goes through the roof. Now they are in the cap. Now it's a it's a it's a uh, a seller's market, as it were. Now the 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 worker is in the cap seat. They can ask for whatever they want. They can demand that you have to work with their union. You can do whatever you want, but you have to get the government out of it. So I'm on a con- time constraint with your campaign there. So I think you have about two or three more minutes left here. So I want to just give you the stage, tell people why they should vote for you guys and and make your case. I'm just I'm going to leave it as an open forum to end it off here. And when you're done, I'll uh, I'll round out everything for you. OK, I like that kind of question. Listen, guys, <laughs> I don't have to tell you that we're in a mess. Okay, this pandemic, the lockdowns, and even before that, the cost of living was already spiraling out of control. The cost of healthcare was spiraling out of control. Housing, the cost of higher education was going through the roof. And your income and your wages more than likely weren't rising anywhere near as fast as the cost of living was going up. Government was increasingly infringing itself upon you. Uh, You had fewer and fewer options to be able to do things legally. Uh, you are more likely every year to be able to end up in a cage. You're hearing more and more stories about police brutality, police brutality. You're seeing your friends and loved ones come home from an endless, hopeless, useless and feudal war, often coming home with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other issues uh, and being subjected to the worst form of health care in this country, the Veterans Administration. You have seen infringements on your right to keep and bear arms, while the same organization that infringes on your rights buys whatever militarized equipment they want, whenever they want, uses it however they want, sticks you with the bill for it. You've seen more and more people's lives being ruined, entire communities being decimated because of this failed war on drugs. You're seeing people in cages for trying to cross the border to live a better life. You're seeing government. You're seeing the logical conclusion of Republicans and Democrats and their exclusive control of every level of power in government in this country for over 160 years. They've taken control of your life. They've robbed you of your power, your freedom, and your wealth to enrich themselves and the well-heeled, politically connected billionaire cronies who bought and paid for them to be in office. This system is a mess, and this election is far too important to keep voting for the people and the parties and the ideas that put us in that mess in the first place. We invite you, Joe Jorgensen and I invite you, the Libertarian Party invites you to vote for taking that power back, dismantling these oppressive, infringing, tyrannical systems returning government to the restrictions and the constitutional limitations that it was always intended to have and taking that power and freedom and money and putting it back in your hands where you belong so that you can thrive and prosper. We know that you do best when you are most free and we want you to live that way. And we invite you to join us by going to joe20.com, making a contribution if you can, filling out our volunteer form if you're able to become a member of our team. 
I invite you to go to LP.org and find out more about the Libertarian Party. And if you like what you see there, I invite you to join it. We would love you to join what we are building. Joe and I and the Libertarian Party are working to build an army for human liberty, fighting for nothing less than a world set free in our time. And I believe that our time is now. Spike, where can they find you on social media as well? If you look for Spike Cohen on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm on TikTok for the kids. Uh, you should be able to find me anywhere on social media. Uh, I think I'm, I believe I'm on Discord now as well. Uh, and if you want to look for my my podcast, they're on Muddied Waters Media. You can find that anywhere as well. If you look for Spike Cohen or Muddied Waters Media on pretty much any social media or platform, uh, you should be able to find me. Well, Spike, I really enjoyed the conversation. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, some of the topics that we didn't get to, I wanted to talk about some of the military stuff and foreign affairs. I wanted to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. I should have gotten to that one. I really wanted to talk to you about that. I wanted to talk to you about gun control, immigration, sex trafficking, and um, a couple other little things. But those were the main topics I wanted to talk about. Well, here, I, cannot, I, I can talk knock those out really I can knock those out really quick. <laughs> Foreign policy. I believe in it. We believe in a system of neutrality. Switzerland hasn't been invaded in the entire time it's existed because it minded its own business and its people are well armed. We believe in the same thing here, armed and neutral. Uh, when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse, the evidence seems to suggest that Kyle was defending himself. I think it was questionable whether or not his parents should have allowed him to go into essentially a war zone uh, to protect property. Fair but enough. I think once he's actually there and you have people attacking him, it was clear that he, it, it, from what I could tell, he reserved uh, his use of deadly force only on people that were in actively trying to harm or even possibly kill him. Um, I will note this. Kyle Rittenhouse shot people and was immediately charged for it. We have police officers across this country who shoot people in much more questionable circumstances, and they often face no punishment or even investigation for it. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, gun control. Common sense gun control is the American people armed with whatever weapons you damn well please to have, deciding what government, what we allow government to have. Real, real quick on that one. Does that mean not needing a permit at all, or at least in the very least having a national permit for people? Uh, the, the, the Second Amendment doesn't allow for permits. That is the prime law of the land. Okay. It says the right of the people to <laughs> yeah. keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And the preamble says a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of the country, well-regulated at the time mean made, meant made regular, meant zero what we yep. would now call regulations. It meant the opposite of what it does now. And the militia even, is you. Even playing field. We are yeah. the militia. The people are the yeah. militia. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, period. Yep. Uh, what was the yep. other one? Immigration. The founders believe that uh, one of the reasons they declared independence from the crown was because of the limitations on immigration that the crown was imposing. For the first hundred years of the United States existence, there were zero restrictions or limitations on immigration. Mm -hmm. And then for another 50 or 60 years, there were very few. Joe and I propose bringing us back to the Ellis Island system that allows people to come here legally and disempowers the cartels who are making billions of dollars from human trafficking and then from child sex trafficking and things like that. Allow people to come here for peaceful reasons like our ancestors did as well. Uh, what else? That, but that allows allows us to see who, it's not a completely open border situation. It's allowing us to see who is coming in and out. That it, Ellis Island open, type it, setup. It's, it's open borders in that the person is presumed innocent as opposed to what we have now, which is the presumption of right. guilt. It is open true, in true. that it becomes 
it ends the system of it being prohibitively expensive for people to come here, but it is still checking who they are, where they come from, making sure they don't have any communicable illnesses. Uh, if there is the ability to do so from their home country, doing a basic check of their background and things like that, there are ways to do this without putting yep. people in a system that spends, you know, where they spend years and tens of <laughs> yeah, thousands yep. of dollars Absolutely. to try to do it legally, while then coyotes are bringing people in and 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 uh, and paying off corrupt border patrol officials which is how we have millions of people here illegally in the first place it's a stupid system we need to go back to ellis island well i'm gonna get in trouble with your campaign and brian if, uh, <laughs> if i keep on going with it but listen but I, I really do appreciate you i i uh i could talk to you for hours but uh spike thank you very much for joining me thank you again uh if if you are interested in seeing more interviews like this we've changed the format of the show from weekly topics of of going over political issues and everything to now doing interviews with individuals that have stories and i think that stories are the most important thing for people to relate to things and and this is just a great example with spike here in regards to a, another option that's out there in with the current situation but i'm going to continue interviewing people with these great stories that apply to big hot button political issues and everything including even over to the business side and everything. I appreciate everyone joining me tonight. Have a great night and God bless America.